Welcome to Talks at Advent, homilies and reflections given at the Church of the Advent, a Western Rite Orthodox mission in Atlanta, Georgia. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, God is one. Amen. The Gospel for the second Sunday in Advent at the Mass comes from the 21st chapter of Luke, and I'm going to read that for us now. Beginning in verse 25. And there will be signs in sun and moon and stars and upon the earth, distress of nations and perplexity at the roaring of the sea and the waves, men fainting with fear and with foreboding of what is coming on the world. For the powers of the heavens will be shaken And then they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. Now when these things begin to take place, look up and raise your heads because your redemption is drawing near. And he told them a parable. Look at the fig tree and all the trees. As soon as they come out in leaf, you see for yourselves and know that the summer is already near. So also when you see these things taking place, you know that the kingdom of God is near. Truly, I say to you, this generation will not pass away till all has been taken place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. This gospel reading is um, assigned, like I said, for the second Sunday in Advent in the English, uh, coming from the Sarum tradition, in the Latin Roman tradition that we call the Gregorian in the Orthodox Western Rite. This was the reading for the first Sunday of Advent, Um, but we had... For our first Sunday of Advent, the reading of Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem, and we learned that this was a figure of his second coming. So what are we doing today? Today, like all of Advent, is still about the coming of Christ, uh, and by extension, our directive as Christians to look for and to actively wait for this coming and to prepare our hearts for it. But there are three comings of Christ, three Advents that we focus on in Advent, Christmas, obviously, is the season that this is leading up to, and that's why we have the things that are starting to look like and remind us already of Christmas starting to crop up in our homes and even in our church. The second coming is the coming of Christ into our lives here and now, which means him coming into our hearts, but it also means him coming to us through the Eucharist. And that's always something that we should be looking for, hoping for, and preparing for. And of course, the the third type of his advent that we prepare for in the season is the second and glorious coming. Now today, thematically, is about that second and glorious coming. But is that what our gospel is about? Well, you would think it's obviously about that since we're reading it, and that's the theme of today. And St. Gregory the Great, um, Bishop of Rome, in the early church, certainly thinks that's what this passage is about, because on preaching about this passage, he says, our Lord and Redeemer, desiring to find us prepared, warns us of the evils that are to accompany the end of the world. So St. Gregory is explicitly saying that Jesus is talking about the end of the world here. He's warning us through the reading of scripture of what we should expect. But there's one or two or even a handful of clues in this passage that this may be talking about something different than the end of the world. 
One of the big ones, if we know um, our Bibles well, and especially if we know about the way Jesus liked to talk about himself, comes in the language about the Son of Man. This is what he says. Then they shall see the coming, the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. Now, this is interesting. Jesus has talked about all kinds of stuff that people will see, and then he says they will see the Son of Man coming in power and glory on a cloud. This language comes from, and Jesus knew this, this is what he's quoting, a passage from the prophet Daniel in the seventh chapter, verses 13 and 14. And behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man, and he came to the ancient of days and was presented before him, and to him was given dominion and glory, so power and glory, and a kingdom. So Jesus references the Son of Man. He references coming on a cloud and references power and glory. This is clearly a quotation from the prophet Daniel. So what is the prophet Daniel describing in this language? He is describing what virtually all of the fathers of the church said is what we see happen in Christ's glorious ascension. The Son of Man, that is one like a human being, one who is a human man, is riding the clouds, essentially, in glory, and he comes to the Ancient of Days. What happens in the Ascension? Well, Jesus, the Son of Man, this messianic title, is taken from the sight of the apostles by a cloud of glory. It's not that he just um, shot up into the sky and there happened to be a cloud passing by and then they couldn't see him anymore. The cloud that is described is the kind of cloud, the heavenly glory cloud that Daniel sees. And it's this cloud of glory that hides them, hides Jesus from the eyes of the disciples. And in the ascension, what is he going to do? Well, he's going to go before the Ancient of Days, his father, and to take his throne as the king of all of creation in power and dominion. So what Jesus is describing today is what Daniel saw hundreds of years before and what the disciples would see in the ascension. So that's interesting because it sounds like if we're thinking about this passage as a description of the second coming, that this is Jesus coming to us in power, riding on the clouds. But actually, it's a description of Jesus coming to the Ancient of Days, to his Father in heaven. Hmm. Okay. What about what comes before that? Jesus said that all this stuff would happen before he uh, is going to the Father in a cloud of glory, right? He mentions signs in heaven and on earth. He says the Son uh, will show signs. Well, this comes from Luke chapter 23, verse 44. It was now about noon, and darkness came over the whole land until three that afternoon when the sun's light failed. You know what that is describing? It's describing the crucifixion. Luke is describing what happened while Jesus was on the cross. A sign in the sun, the failing of the light. There were also um, signs in the earth that Jesus mentions in today's passage. For example, earthquakes. Listen to what Matthew describes in chapter 27. At that moment, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. The earth shook and the rocks were split the tombs also were opened, and many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised. So this is also describing 
what happened at the crucifixion. What about the other signs Jesus mentions today? The moon and the stars, the distress of nations and perplexity, the sea raging and men's hearts failing. Well, we know about at least one sign in the stars that heralded the birth of Jesus, right? Which may have also included the curious description of one of the signs that St. John mentions in the book of Revelation with the woman clothed with the sun and the moon at her feet and 12 stars on her head. A description that is incredibly similar to a heavenly arrangement that happens about four times every thousand years or so when the sun's path is actually in the constellation Virgo, the virgin, and the moon is at the feet of that constellation. The raging of the sea and men's hearts failing them for fear is an event that all the disciples would experience personally just before Jesus calmed the sea. The distress of nations we see happening, um, well, all throughout the description of Jesus' life. The context of this is the distress of the Jewish nation because of Roman oppression. We also had a distress of um, the ruling authority in all of Jerusalem when they heard about the wise men coming in search of the new king that was born. So all of these signs can actually be accounted for within the time of Jesus' incarnation here on earth. Jesus even says that they all would happen in and around his lifetime. Verily I say unto you, this generation shall not pass away till all be fulfilled. It's right here, right here in our passage. So in Luke 21, there's also an interesting parallel type passage where Jesus is describing all kinds of great signs. But he begins it by saying, what I'm talking about is the destruction of the temple. Listen to what Jesus says. Nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be great earthquakes in various places and famines and pestilences. And there will be fearful signs and sights and great signs from the heavens. But before all these things, they will lay their hands on you and persecute you, delivering you up to the synagogue and prisons. So Jesus is talking about the disciples being delivered over because of their ministry. They're sharing the gospel. And he says, that will happen to them. And then something will happen that will, that will look like an apocalyptic event with all these crazy sights and signs from heaven, famines, pestilences, earthquakes. And what will that proceed? The destruction of the temple. He says, not one stone will be left on the other. And we know pretty uh, accurately from not just... Um, the New Testament, but from various extra-testamental sources that the temple in Jerusalem was destroyed by the Romans in the year 70 AD. And this is clearly what Jesus is talking about and predicting. And so he says that all of these apocalyptic things, all of these world-ending signs and sights will happen before the destruction of the temple. So what is Jesus talking about today? Is he talking about the end of the world or is he talking about Things happening in his lifetime, things happening in the lifetime of his disciples before the temple is destroyed. Was St. Gregory wrong about our gospel being about the end of the world? Well, no, he was not wrong about that. But it's also not wrong to say that this is about more than just the end of the world. It's not wrong to say that Jesus is talking about things happening in his life here on earth before his ascension and in the life of the early church, the disciples and their ministry before the destruction of Jerusalem and the temple there. 
In fact, all of these things can be about both. Just like last week when we talked about how the um, entry into Jerusalem was a figure of Christ's entry into the world again at his second coming. All that we see Jesus talking about here is also a figure of what will happen at the end of the world. In fact, all of these things, if you look at them, are things that happen pretty regularly. You know, earthquakes happen a lot. Signs in the heavens, do we even know what signs are anymore? We have amazing predictive models that basically can, um, I mean, you can plug in a date into a computer and it will display for you what the sky will look like, either in the future or in the past. That's how we know what constellations look like around the time of Jesus' birth, because we have amazing computing power. And so when we reduce the heavens to mathematics, and instead of looking up, um, we're staring at a screen to see what the skies look like. What does it even mean for us to see signs and wonders in the skies? Uh, I think that's in itself maybe a sign and wonder that we've become so disincarnated um, from the world around us, the world in which we actually live and move and breathe, and yet we are so uh, within our little self-made worlds. I think that's a sign that... um, we are drifting farther away from what God wants us to be like, which is awake, vigilant, noticing what's happening around us in the world in which he has placed us, the world that he's made. So we ought to start looking for signs. We ought to go look up, as Jesus says today, look up, (laughs) pay attention to what's going on around you. Because when we're looking at a black rectangle, either a phone or a computer monitor or whatever else, that's not showing us what the world is. That's showing us something that's been curated for us. That's showing us something that is um, uh, just a, a picture of the world. It's something that could have some degree of truth to it, or it could be virtually entirely made up out of someone's mind. And if that's the only connection to the world around us, then we need to do better. We need to look up, as Jesus said. Because what's the point of looking up? It's so that we know. It's so that we understand where we are in time, in place. Jesus gives a figure of um, the fig tree, another problem that we have in our divorce from all things botanical and natural and growing. But he says, if you know how to interpret plants and growth in nature around you, then you know that it portends the coming of a new season, summer. It's interesting that in the Northern Hemisphere now in Advent, we're reading a passage where Jesus is talking about um, knowing how to recognize summer when it's coming. But it's not that interesting because so many of the uh, themes in Advent are recognizing the growing darkness, but hoping for the turning of that tide and the coming of the light. It's near the winter solstice that Christmas occurs. It's near the turning of the tide where night no longer is getting longer, but that pivot point happens where night then starts becoming shorter and day starts becoming longer. And that's what we're looking for. We're looking for things that show us God is coming. God is in control. One of the church fathers, I genuinely can't remember who, it was one of the early church fathers, and I think a Westerner, Um, was talking about 
signs and wonders and, and Jesus um, giving them as sort of uh, an example of, of what to look for, um, for his, his arrival, his coming, and how that interpretation has been like in St. Gregory, us looking for the end of the world, for Christ's second and glorious coming. But he said, yeah, all of these signs are things that the disciples saw. They're things that a generation after them saw. They're things that we're seeing in our time. And he said, the things that Jesus gives us to look for are things that every generation is going to see. And that's important because however many generations in the world there are, every single generation needs to know, I'm not exempt from understanding that these signs might be portending the coming of Christ. If ever there was a generation that didn't have distress of nations and earthquakes and signs in the heavens, that generation might think, well, not happening now. We're good to go. We can kick back and relax. Not much to prepare for. But no generation, I think, in the history of the world has had that luxury. Everyone, if they know what they're about, has reasons to stay on their toes. And that includes us. We have no reason to suspect that Christ is not going to return at any moment. And so vigilance is something that we should be living in daily. And the season of Advent is wonderful for helping us to recall this to our consciousness. It ought to be something that, whether it's in the dead of winter, the turning of the tide to summer, the autumn, whatever season we're in, we ought to be looking for the return of the Lord. But sometimes we forget because life, life is busy and hard and there are things that demand our attention. And when our attention is on them, the temptation is to take it off of God, off of preparing our hearts to receive him when he comes, which could be, as we heard in the office reading this morning, um, or at the opening sentence, in the middle of the night, early morning, noonday, we don't know. We just don't know. And so that's what Gregory, St. Gregory, is talking about when he says this is a description of the end of the world and what we can expect, because that's exactly what we can expect before the end of the world. The same things that happened in Christ's lifetime, that happened in the lifetime of, of um, St. Gregory, and that are happening in our lifetime. Crazy things happening in the world, things that really should keep us on our toes if we're paying attention. But thanks be to God, we have this season to remind us how to prepare through prayers, through anthems and chants and songs, and through the services um, the church provides us. We can prepare ourselves to meet the Lord when he comes again and to be ready so that we don't mourn like those who have no hope if terrible things happen. We aren't in the same kind of distress that the nations are in because they have no hope besides their own existence and their own thriving. We, it doesn't matter if the nation around us crumbles, we still have hope in God. It doesn't matter if our nation is thriving, but our life is falling apart, we still have God. Whatever our circumstances, good or bad, positive, negative, whatever's going on, and we know that all things come in seasons, right? So whatever's going on, in whatever season we're in, Christ could be just around the corner. Christ is, from the perspective of eternity, just around the corner. So let's take this Sunday to really, really 
think about that and to reorder our minds, our hearts, and our lives to be expecting the coming of Christ so that when he comes, we aren't in distress, but are looking forward to and welcoming him. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, God is one. Amen. Talks at Advent. Homilies and reflections given at the Church of the Advent, a Western Rite Orthodox mission in Atlanta, Georgia.